Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello. And welcome to Honey and Coat. I'm Itamar. I'm Sarit. It's bonfire night. And our grill house, Honey and Smoke, is three years old. We decided it's to throw a fire it's... party. Well, a fire party in the grill. Yeah. And we had not one or two, but three parties. Three parties. Three guest people we admire from... The world of food. But yeah. uh, like amazing chefs. It's been so much fun. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. We're going to go into our kitchen and honey and smoke and put some things on the grill before we meet our guests. You can always use a griddle pan at home if you don't have a grill. But we want to talk you through how we cook some of our special dishes. Uh, our first guest was Olia Hercules. She brought us the most incredible smoke-dried pears from the Ukraine. And uh, we're going to cook our pear dish, which is uh, pears on the grill that we marinate with some vinegar and honey. And we serve with uh, almond tahini sauce, coriander, and smoked a little almonds, bit of smoked almonds. A bit of chili. Yeah, it's one of the dishes that we bring back every autumn to this uh, restaurant and everyone's always very happy to see it back. Should we go in? Yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, let's go. Should we push some chefs out of the way? Yeah. Move chefs. Move chefs. <laughs> yeah, and the hum that you hear in the background, that's our extraction. That's the motor for it. And this is the sound, the soundtrack to our lives. It is, yeah. Is we go just hear like... So we're going to try and speak up so you can hear us while we cook. Starting with the pears, just cutting them into quarters and removing the core. Drizzling with a bit of uh, olive oil. And we're only going to season them once they come off the grill. Kitam, can you pass me a pair of tongs? You really want to get the nice crunchy pears for this. So these are going to get a little bit of oil. And they're going to go straight on actually quite a hot grill. So you need to have really white hot coals under. And then what you want to hear as soon as they hit the grill is you want to hear that sizzle. So you don't want to be cooking them so much. You just want them to get a little bit of the grill marks, a little bit of that smoky flavor. And you just want the surface to heat up, caramelize. becomes almost like toffee flavor, but with a hint of smoke. It's quite special. 
You know, it's very strange nowadays. It's kind of quite trendy to be cooking on fire and all these kind of fire restaurants open and stuff like that. But where we grew up, fire is just a part of everyday cooking. Like, you, first of all, it's warm, like 300 days of the year. So you just light a fire. You're always outside. You're always cooking outside. Yeah. So you either light a fire by the beach and you throw in some potatoes and like fish them out with a stick. And that's kind of what you have when you're young. Or you kind of cook Turkish coffee on a, on a fire. And then you're always lighting a barbecue somewhere. It's like, if there's like an, uh, an island a in a, a patch of grass, or, yeah, there'll like be a, a barbecue on it. A traffic island. Then someone's going to be lighting a barbecue on there. So for us, it's kind of natural. And when we first kind of decided to open our own business, it was always going to be a grill house. But this was seven years ago and we had no money and we completely, we couldn't do it. Like we couldn't find a place with an extraction. So this noise that you're hearing... We really needed that noise, and it was... Yeah, this is the sound of luxury. It's actually probably <laughs> the most expensive thing I got. And in, with our first restaurant, we couldn't do that. So this is why we opened Honey & Co., which is more home food and stuff like that. And we just waited and bided our time till we can... Can you say bided? No. Bode? Bid. Bid. We bid our time until we could have the money to pay for a proper extraction. As the pears come off the grill, just going to season them nicely with, uh, with some salt... And some chilies and a bit of vinegar, a little splash of vinegar. And we're using a really nice kind of apple cider vinegar here, works really nicely with pears. If you're serving them later, they'll be fine for a couple of hours, but actually they're the most delicious now when the inside is still cold, but the outside is really warm. It's the best way to eat it. So a dollop of almond tahini. So I've just stolen his dish from service. A bit of almond tahini. Spread it around, that's the base. Top it with the pears. Sprinkling with a bit of these smoked almonds. So we've smoked them whole and then roughly chopped them. A little drizzle of honey. A bit of coriander leaves just for, for a bit of charm and a drizzle of olive oil and we're done. It's a super simple dish. We've been so steeped in that kind of culture of Middle Eastern grill and we've been to you know, so many grill houses and we've been researching and, you know, researching, stuffing our face. <laughs> and uh, It's the best way to research, though. Yeah, yeah, this is our kind of research. You know, we thought for the third year of our restaurant, it'll be so much fun to invite people who can bring us, you know, new perspective and new ideas. Our guest this week is uh, Olia Hercules, a dear friend of ours, and a terrific cook, and she has an Eastern European background, so she has a... Ukrainian, a little bit of Georgian mix in her, a little bit of Caucasian influences. And she cooks food from this part of the world and she cooks it amazingly well. And I think even in, in that short session, we've learned so much. We, we could have talked all night. She brought us these pears that are smoked and dried in old half ovens. And it was just such an incredible flavor and such an unusual sweet and smoky and you can just imagine how that would enrich a stew with all those flavors that you want so we thought we'll do our version quite a different version delicious though yeah should we try the pears i want to make you the the perfect bite make make me the perfect bite so you need a little bit of the smoky almonds as much of the almond tahini as you can balance on top and just one leaf of coriander you want to get everything in that one bite we hope you enjoy our talk with Olia as much as uh, we did. Yeah, we loved it. We also got to eat the food. You guys don't. You should have come. Something's going on. 
So we're going to talk a little bit of background. I'm sure most people here would have heard about you, but just in case, uh, you're from southern Ukraine originally. The food culture there, I think, was kind of not what we'd expected from Eastern Europe. It's something completely different. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's actually really diverse. You know, we people sometimes have uh, these ideas, all Eastern European food, you know, forget about kind of regional uh, diversity, that it's all kind of potatoes and cabbage. Don't um, beetroot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and beetroot. And, and we do do fantastic things with cabbage and potatoes and dumplings and beetroot, but there's a lot more to it. Of course, the Soviet Union, with the kind of like aggressive industrialization and standardization of food and cultures has uh, had an effect on everyone. But um, some diversity and some kind of uniqueness has remained. And the south of Ukraine is extremely interesting. Like for my third book, I've been uh, traveling all over all over Ukraine. Like we did about 10,000 kilometers uh, mm-hmm. driving into people's homes and uh, looking for those recipes that, you know, the general question would be like, oh, you know, can, could you please tell me something that your mother used to make and maybe stopped making or you don't make anymore? So, yeah, very diverse. And in the south, you know, loads of Turkic influences. The climate is different from, for example, northwestern Ukraine, where it's all mushrooms and forests and kind of like really deep, rich flavors like that. In the south, we've got our aubergine, you know, glut of aubergines and tomatoes. Like my mom had 30 kilos of tomatoes last year and they were about 700 grams each. Uh, and my aunt uh, didn't know what to do with 40 kilos of uh, aubergines uh, this summer. And she, she just dropped them at her daughter's uh, doorstep and went like, here you go. And she was like, what am I going to do with 40 kilos of aubergines? So we, we pickle them, you know, we ferment them, <laughs> ferment anything that so, comes so away. So in, in your own family, you still have this, you know, growing traditions, cooking traditions. Absolutely. You never yeah. lost them. No, we never lost them. My mom and dad and my grandparents uh, never really lived in cities. So they did have a bit of land and, and they could keep their like little goats and a cow and grow actually quite substantial amount of vegetables and had fruit trees and stuff. So they've preserved all that because otherwise you'd be queuing for two hours for a really hard piece of bread that you could kill someone with. <laughs> So, so it's a quite, quite a, you know, it's like paints such an ideal <laughs> picture, yeah, especially with the bread cues. Yeah. Uh, but you, you also have a lot of other influences from the region in, in your family. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think one of the more positive things that came out of the Soviet Union is that uh, families did manage to intermingle. For example, my father was actually born, you know, his mom was from Siberia, but he was born in Uzbekistan because Siberia was quite a grim a place in the 50s, at least for my grandmother. So she left and she went to live in Tashkent in Uzbekistan, met my Ukrainian grandfather on the way on the train. They played a uh, game of cards and then he sent her a letter nine months later and my dad was born in Tashkent in Uzbekistan. Uh, so she lived there for 10 years. Uh, so when eventually they moved back to the south of Ukraine, she brought loads of Uzbeki recipes with her, you know. But there's loads of other families that also have very similar connections. So they would all be cooking plov and manti, dumplings, etc., uh, etc., et you know, Soviet-Korean carrots. And this is more what's kind of shown in Caucasus in the book, uh, yeah. like a bit of more influence in using a lot of fruit inside. When I was cooking, there's quite a lot of fruit being <laughs> yes. used and quite a lot of herbs. So is this something you remember as well as a child eating at home? Or Yeah, so my father also had like more kind of international connections in the way. His uh, uncle got married to an Armenian lady who actually lived in Azerbaijan. 
so the, the whole family lived in Baku, and um, when I was three, uh, we decided to go there, basically, and visit them. We didn't even let them know. We just kind of uh, set off uh, in a little Jiguli or like Lada and drove from... Three the, days later. Yeah, three days <laughs> later. No, we actually halfway through, they were like, oh, we, we better send them a telegram <laughs> that we are coming. But that was a fantastic uh, trip that, you know, when it came to writing the second book, I just thought, well, I've got this family connection. It would be so lovely to repeat that journey and to actually go and spend more time in Georgia because we, we kind of just passed through and spent most of the time in Baku. But I, you know, so fascinated with Georgian food, I just um, went back with my brother, actually, and we did the whole journey plus some. All right, so I'm getting <laughs> all my geography confused. So actually, we're talking kind of different regions and the food would stretch kind of down what was the previous U- USSR kind of thing, yeah? So, yeah, so okay. starting in the south of Ukraine, uh, and then we went through Crimea, and then we took a ferry to Sochi in Russia, and then from Sochi we went to Abkhazia, and from Abkhazia we went to Georgia, and then we drove all the way to Azerbaijan. Amazing. So it was quite a trip. I mean, my parents were kind of a little bit too eccentric and crazy, I think, <laughs> with a three-year-old and a, a bla- you know, sun and hot in this car that's not air-conditioned. That was not ideal. I wouldn't do it. But you did it again. <laughs> but I did it again. <laughs> but I wasn't three, so it was okay. Yeah. As a child, do you have memories? I mean, we're here to kind of celebrate fire and, and sure. what, how important it is to us. And for us, it's very clear in our memory. Fire is always kind of part of how... We remember cooking. It's about holidays and everything like that. Do you have early cooking on fire memories? One of the first kind of memories was actually to do with that trip. My, my family are like, are you sure you remember? You were very little. And they think I'm, it's a bit freaky, but I do actually remember myself from the age of two. I give them some details. They're like, this is really weird. <laughs> like, creepy child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really creepy child. But I do remember um, uh, the big, uh, uh, ten, what we call tandir ovens, which are very close to tandoori ovens. I can't remember if it was Georgia or Azerbaijan. They both have them. Uh, kind of this glowing, kind of almost like a mouth and these breads just being slapped on on the side. And I was like, what is going on there? And just the memory of this massive bread coming, because they were kind of like roadside cafes, and we were hungry on the way. So then I remember seeing that. Then we got into the car, and then this huge bread, well, I was three, so it seemed like it was a, a massive, you know, like a table, being passed all around the car, and we all kind of had it, and it was gone in two seconds because it was just so delicious. And then, of course, in Ukraine, we uh, cooked over fire as well. Uh, so Ukrainian idea of a picnic or a kind of a, the way that we spent Sundays with my family would be in the summer would be to collect all our friends, you know, so a couple of families with kids, and we'd go to the river Dnieper. Uh, there were like some pine forests there. My dad with his friends would be fishing and uh, we'd be cooking on fire afterwards. And actually quite a lot of that cooking, it wasn't just making kind of shashliki or uh, whatever, like meat on skewers. The fish that they would catch would have the small fish and would have a quite a big kind of cauldron type situation and throw the fish in and make a make a fish uh, broth so so we did quite a lot of brothing (laughs) like smoky kind of flavor with loads of smoky flavor coming in yeah quite quite simple um and then you'd kind of just bash some garlic and dill uh, and salt together and temper it with a little bit of the hot broth uh and that would be kind of your condiment so you just put a little bit into each bowl and that would you know give everything a bit of a punch 
uh, in flavor. But yeah, you have a nice like, story. You have a nice story in your book about when it starts raining and you all end up in a you know in the back of a car eating yeah. soup. <laughs> I always think that's a very kind of English way of looking at a picnic as well. Yeah. I think growing up in in Israel, whenever you have like I don't know like six people together on a kind of a decent day, boom, you'll have like a grill going and, you know, there's always be like something... Yeah, but you never expect rain in Israel, do you? No, but I was thinking about like the, the fish, like having, you know, that kind of smoky fish broth in Sounds forest. delicious. It sounds amazing. And, th- and this is like something that I wouldn't, wouldn't even think about as a, you know, outdoor cooking. That's wonderful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I think, you know, when, when we do talk about cooking on fire, it kind of it is quite trendy and a buzzword, but, you know, actually cooking on fire is cooking. You know, for, for the longest time in human history, there was no, you know, other method the original of g of cooking yeah <laughs> i mean this is this is it and kind of the just eating something that doesn't taste smoky is quite a recent introduction i think to, to human cooking but you know you were you write also in your book about you know the big uh wood-fired ovens in homes in the ukraine and you brought us these wonderful things which i'm amazed uh, to tell everyone here about them and then and we'll, we'll pass them around actually. Yeah, so in Ukraine as well as Russia and uh, quite a few other Eastern European countries, we've got this basically like a massive masonry oven called Peach uh, or Pitch in Russian. And this um, is in, in people's homes? In people, like, yeah, in yeah. people's homes, although they also have the outside versions, which I'll get to. Um, but it's like a, you know, it, it weighs a couple of tons. It's like a massive structure that heats your house. And at the same time, obviously, all of the heat, all of the kind of like wood that you use or whatever, all of the heat that it produces is used throughout the day. You know, we're very economical with heat. 
In the morning when the heat is strong, you'd be making bread. There's little crevices within this peach where, you know, my grandmother would kind of like be drying things because it's quite a mellow heat. So drying seeds or uh, dried fruits or whatever. And um, these pears that I've just passed around, actually my dad, uh, my dad smoked those. So this is not the original method, but um, I just wanted him to test and see if non-peach method works because <laughs> I've put it into my third book. You know, when you have a glut of pears, they would, at the end of each day, when the heat of this oven it was very low, they would layer them on, um, you know, on trays or whatever and put, put it in and leave them overnight. And then they would repeat the process with these pears for about five days or longer until they would have shriveled into these leathery, kind of uh, looking beautiful, dried pears uh, that would be dry and also very heavily smell of smoke, you know, of all of that wood smoke that would come out of the oven. I think it's such a genius way to preserve fruit for winter. And they would use it uh, firstly to make uzvar, um, which is like a, a dried fruit drink, uh, and also they would put it into borscht. So they would be making like a huge pot of meat stock or or veg or mushroom stock. And then they would drop about like, three or four of those into the stock and it would flavor it. I mean, originally, I think people would have done it to add also to add nutrition, but um, it adds such a fantastic flavor. So these pears are for you guys. And I recommend using them in some kind of a lovely duck or pork or whatever stew you know I can't wait to make, make like a kind of barbecue sauce with it almost because if you like infusing them into something quite sweet as well and then rubbing on lamb that would be quite yeah absolutely that would work too so uh... I mean it's it's amazing and I, I can't wait to use this and actually another thing that we really need to talk about because it was so good it's that that kefir marinade <laughs> what is going on there? This is what we we've cooked for you. It's it's um, uh, chicken in kefir and herb marinade, which is just you know magic. Yeah, it's a, so it's in my uh, uh, first cookbook called Mamushka, and but it's actually a papushka <laughs> recipe. So my dad made it. You know, we we use quite a lot of uh, milk and. My mom, and it's quite good raw milk that you would get from a market, uh, whatever, and my mom would often just leave it out of the fridge, uh, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. And more often than not, it would go sour in a very, very good way. You know, and that's what we call kefir. We don't use any granules or anything. We just kind of leave the milk to go sour. And then, you know, you use it in a myriad of ways. Like, usually she would, uh, she would put it in a jar and then cook it in kind of like a, a home-made like home kind of uh, water bath in a way. And then you make a cheese, you strain it, and then you make this uh, cheese we call sir or tvarog in Russian. And sometimes um, the whey or the actual kefir kind of like all mixed together would go into marinades. And my dad loves making this chicken. On the day that we were shooting Mamushka, I think he just kind of, we would, he was just playing around and he just thought, oh, I've got some kefir, I'm just going to make this chicken. And then he just mixed it with some herbs. And then he actually put some apricot jam into it as well, which sounded really weird. So I was like, oh, maybe people... I mean, it was delicious. And actually, I should have kept the original recipe, but yeah. I chickened out, so I added honey instead. Uh, but apricot jam actually works. I mean, it's sweetness, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, so. So, but something happens there with the, with the kefir and the chicken. Yeah, like butter. It comes out so <laughs> tender and so kind of seasoned almost like so rich and savory 
I, I, I thought it was magic. Uh, oh. It was really, really oh, nice. Glad you liked it. I hope you. I'll will, tell him. He'll yeah. be so yeah. pleased because yeah. my mom will like it as well. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom gets all the kind of praise and credit all the time, so he'll be so pleased that <laughs> really, <laughs> he's yeah. taken God. Yeah. yeah it's well, interesting because the sweetness that, I thought was really interesting. Actually, adding the honey to it was kind of quite surprising but adds a really interesting flavor to the whole thing so i'm gonna try it with the apricot jam next time see if it's a you know okay tell us a bit about later kind of experiences with fire so like you said you've been traveling quite a lot and are you seeing people still using fire quite a lot is this cooking still alive in the region yes uh definitely in caucasus i mean it never went anywhere in ukraine People are doing it less and less in the traditional sense. So in the South, we, we used to do this wonderful thing, which is also still done in Caucasus, where you'd make a huge, like a big fire, basically, outside. And then uh, you'd have a really, really big pan, like a really big pot, like, you know, 15 liters or something like that. And you'd probably use like an oar rather than a normal <laughs> st- spoon to stir it. But what they used to do is what they call bikmes in, uh, in Caucasus. So reducing loads of uh, fruit juice, essentially. Mm. So they do that with plums, mulberries, you name it, in Caucasus. And in the south of Ukraine, because we've got so many bloody watermelons, (laughs) (laughs) people used to reduce this watermelon juice. And I've been trying to find out where this tradition for Bikmes comes from in the south of Ukraine, but I guess it would be Crimean Tatars or Turks, uh, because the Ukrainian borders, uh, you know, have been shifting... Uh, throughout centuries and stuff. And um, so, yeah, so watermelon juice. Uh, I did test it once. It's not made anymore that much, uh, this watermelon honey, as we call it. But I did uh, reduce about 20 liters of uh, watermelon juice. I ended up with about just under a liter, 800 mils oh, wow. of, of this thing. And it starts smelling like pumpkin by the end. It was really delicious, but quite a lot of effort. I mean, you have to stand there and stir it and stir it for hours. Uh, but and it was is, delicious. Is, is that used on sweet things or used on savory foods, like all these syrups so sh- and everything? So actual sugar was scarce after the war. So people would use this watermelon, uh, these watermelon molasses essentially as a sweetener. So you'd, you'd add it to your baking or you'd have it on your, you know, on your, on your bread, kind of like, like with some jam. sour cream, probably like jam. Yeah, but it, that tradition is uh, is lost. Like I, I don't know anyone who still does that, unfortunately. But I'm I feel lucky that I've found out about it. And then um, and then of course they just cook over fire in, in general. You know, like meat. They have this wonderful dish called mtswadi. Uh, say say what? Mtswadi. Mtswadi. <laughs> There's a lot of guttural pra- kind of like. Practice this. <laughs> you guys speak Hebrew. Yeah. You must be used to this kind of thing. Um, so they make this amazing dish called mtswadi, uh, where they use uh, pork, uh, pork neck quite a lot, uh, and they would um, start the fire with some grapevines, so dry grapevines, and uh, burn it until it kind of turns into coals, and then you skewer the meat. And then you mix uh, some red wine, Georgians have fantastic wine, with some salt, so like seasoned wine, and they would just baste it as they kind of cook it. Mm. Oh, wow. So it'd get this really beautiful caramelized kind of crust on top and super soft and just cooked in the middle. Such a simple way to cook something, but all of that grapevine flavors and wine and salt... Yeah, oh, it's just absolutely delicious. It sounds amazing. Sounds <laughs> delicious yeah. uh, Georgians do know how to put, cook, cook their meat, and uh, yeah, and so do Azerbaijanis actually. And wh- what's the one with the stone, with the granite? Oh stone? yes, uh, and in Azerbaijan, um, again, there's a really ancient way of cooking. Um, 
meat, uh, which uh, a few of restaurants are kind of bringing back at the moment. Um, so one restaurant just built their own. So it looked like a massive kind of oven with a, I don't know if it was slate or granite or something on top, like a big stone, the local stone that they had. Uh, fired up from uh, with wood uh, underneath, and what they did was uh, they spatch cocked quite young chickens, and then they uh, threw quite a lot of uh, fat rum sheep uh, fat all over the bottom stone. Uh, so fat rum sheep uh, literally are sheep that have really big fat rumps <laughs> with loads of fat in them, uh, which is really delicious and doesn't just melt. It kind of becomes quite crispy when cooked. So they even make like kebabs just with the fat and some vegetables in between. It's really delicious. Yeah, this is and, a, a delicacy around the Middle uh, East. It's yeah, just exactly. a skewer of fat. Yeah, 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 it's so good. Uh, so they would put all of this fat around, let it kind of release a bit of the, of, of the fat onto the stone. Then they'd flatten the chickens on top and then they would build um, these circles around so the first circle would be all the vegetables whatever's uh, in season at the moment it was kind of like aubergines and tomatoes and onions and then another circle on the outside would be the flatbreads or just some or, or some bread and then they would put this heavy stone on top of the chickens and then just let it cook kind of slowly Amazing. so all of the lamb and chicken fat and all of the kind of fiery smoky flavors would start seeping first into the vegetables and the veg- vegetables will be stu- you know will start absorbing it and then <laughs> Wait, whatever and then they will be starving <laughs> now what are you doing to us we're starving it's three o'clock on a Sunday and then the meat juices would uh, mingle with the vegetables and uh, start seeping into the bread so you know at the end you get just this incredible like mind-blowing meal it's the recipe so is in Caucasus if you'd like to try it uh, I have adapted it for a home what, kind have, of cooking like, situation I like, grab two Two fifteen kilos. No, no, no! You can do it with trays at home. It is possible. Oh, yeah. That sounds amazing. Wow, it sounds so That's delicious. Just uh, a little bit too much. Need some uh, fresh air. Um, I want to ask a, you know, a kind of a first in- instinct of, of what to cook and what to eat is kind of what we want to eat. But when you think about it, you know, the cooking on fire and that grill flavor. Do you think it's nostalgia? that people are looking for? Is it just because it's very delicious or is it are we conditioned to enjoy this type of food? I think the conditioning thing I was just going to say, I don't know if there's something deeply ingrained in all of us that yeah. just makes us, you know, fire in general, even just looking at it. There's there's something so hypnotic. I yeah. think we are, we are wired to love. I, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't like grilled food. Yeah whether you have bright kind of uh, memories from your childhood or not. I think there's something a lot deeper that's going on. Hmm. Yeah, because I always always find it here when, you know, especially like when we would serve someone like lamb chops or, you know, aubergines on the grill and it kind of still smoky from the fire, people get that look, don't they? (laughs) They get that kind of... The carnivore-ness comes out, yeah. I always think is that kind of a, like, a biological thing almost or something like that? Or is it just like nostalgia or... I don't know. I think we're wired to like it. And, yeah. that, and I mean, how can you not like it? It's, uh, it's everything that you want in terms of texture, in terms of smell, in terms of, you know, it's a sensory kind of overload as well. It kind yeah. of it just makes you want it. Yeah. But we're kind of seeing this massive revival on cooking on fire in 
in London, but I suppose it's because maybe extractions have become better. <laughs> you know, it's easier to do nowadays. But you know, it it, it is just a part of of, of yeah. cuisines all around the world. So it's all down down to the you know, with us, it's either the extraction or the plumbing. This, it's every conversation ends thing. up in that. Uh, should we talk about what you guys are going to eat soon? Because I'm getting hungry. You guys must be hungry. I've been up for a long time cooking for you. So Olya made some lovely pickles. Uh, what are they? It's called pelustka in Ukrainian, which means petals. What I did was just um, chop cabbage in half and then into kind of like big chunks. And then I actually kind of did it a little bit too late. <laughs> so I had to expedite the process. Uh, so I had some beetroot kvass, which has already been fermented in my fridge. Uh, so I poured that. Of course that you did. Yeah. <laughs> to get, so I mixed it with a little bit of a brine uh, and put the, the beetroot into it. And then I fermented it for a week. And a little bit of sugar as well to speed things up. But yeah, it, it, it just... And then it comes out kind of like mottled pink color that looks like rose petals apparently. But yeah, I hope you like it. It's quite fresh still, but it's also quite sour. Yeah. And then you made some Ossetian, Ossetian pies? Ossetian. Ossetian, I can't say it. Ossetian pies? Yeah. Yes. So I was uh, testing another recipe for my book. Excellent. <laughs> the last Guys. one, actually, we shot it uh, the other day. Called Ryazhanka, which is uh, you bake milk overnight in the oven until it kind of like the natural sugars caramelize. And then you add a little bit of really good raw yogurt into it, wrap it up into, I have like this really old Russian goat uh, uh, blanket. <laughs> so you wrap it overnight. Again, this is this the recipe we'll say. <laughs> Get equipment, <laughs> old Russian goat blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about like niche kitchen equipment. Yeah. I'm game. You can use anything. I'm game. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns into yogurt, but it's got this fantastic caramelized kind of flavor. So I made quite a lot of it. So I thought, oh, why don't I use it into the? Uh, so I used it in the dough uh, for these pies. Uh, so it's uh, rajanka honey uh, and salt and uh, wholemeal flour using my sourdough starter from home. Uh, and then I filled them this morning with uh, that farmer's market uh, chard, sorrel, uh, cooked in butter and garlic and a little bit of spring onion. And then I just stuffed them and we baked them and then we brushed them with brown butter as soon as they came out of the oven. So I hope that you enjoy them. So that sounds delicious. Also, oh. we've been making some yeah. things, not just Olya. No, you've been making <laughs> most of the things. Thank no, you so much. But all, but all, according to your recipe. So we've ash-roasted some beetroots and we're serving them with tekmeli. Do you want to tell everyone what tekmeli is? This tekmeli. Is tek- See? I'm not going to speak anymore. We're serving them with some plum sauce, <laughs> which is called... Kemali, another guttural kind of like loads of, of uh, yeah, consonants. And what's that? Because that's an amazing sauce. In, just, you know, just for that, it's worth getting the book because that's an amazing, an amazing sauce. Yeah, so it's, uh, again, plums um, are cooked down uh, very simply with a little bit of salt and garlic and dill. And uh, in Georgia, they also use ombalo, which is pennyroyal mint. Uh, but apparently pregnant women are not supposed to have it. It's so not in know. there, so you're yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, and I cooked it kind of over the ashes, so it's, it's also a bit smoky, which is quite nice. And it's used in this beetroot uh, dish called charkhali, another guttural one for you. Uh, so normally they just boil beetroot and dress it and, um, and, and serve it with some herbs. But you guys cooked it in ash. Yes. Ash, ash, yeah. kind of. But just because we have ashes, it's easy. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, otherwise, I have to boil a whole lot of water. Uh, what else did we make? We made the amazing chicken uh, in the kefir and herbs and stuff like that. And so it baked beautiful caramelized apple cheesecakes. Yes. We have some rice. And saffron rice. Saffron rice. Many, many things. a lot things. of stuff. So yeah. it's going to be fun. So everyone join me in saying thanks so much to Olya for joining us today.
Thank you for listening to our talk with Olia. We loved every minute of it. The food was absolutely delicious. All the recipes are in Olia's books. Next week, we have Ben Chapman from Kiln in Soho, one of London's most loved restaurants. We're eager to find out all his fiery secrets. Tune in. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Come on. 